Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an Apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. I was told I didn't fit the mold and that I was too pop or too theater. I've always been delusionally ambitious to the point where people don't understand me. Lady Gaga. In the Upper West Side of Manhattan stands a historic 11-story building called the Pythian. In the 50s and 60s, it housed a record studio owned by music label Decca Records. In 1954, Bill Haley and his Comets recorded their groundbreaking smash hit, We're Gonna Rock Around the Clock, within the Pythian Walls. Sammy Davis Jr. and Billie Holiday also frequented the studio. And in 1958, it was said to be the setting of Buddy Holly's final recording sessions. 25 years later, the building underwent a complete transformation into a condominium. An Italian family named the Germanatas moved in, and the Pythian unknowingly began housing another music icon. Stephanie Germanata was three years old when she first tickled the ivories of her grandparents' upright piano. She mostly just smashed the low notes like she was trying to kill a fly that had landed on the keys. But her mother noticed a twinkle in her eye, so she arranged for her daughter to start piano lessons. From the get-go, Stephanie poured her heart and soul into the piano, 
throwing her whole body into each and every note. So much so that her piano teacher tried to reel her in by tying a piece of string to each of her wrists and balancing the neck of a pink panther figurine across it. If the panther fell off, she was being too theatrical. Classical piano came easily to Stephanie, but she still practiced every day until her fingers bled. Later saying, she may not have been a natural dancer, but she was a natural musician. While Stephanie's piano teacher taught her classical music, her father had a slightly different agenda. As he watched his daughter spend every waking hour glued to the piano bench, he figured he too should get something out of it. So he bought her a brand new songbook, Bruce Springsteen's Greatest Hits. She said the sheet music looked like a foreign language. Above the staffs were guitar chords, and it didn't follow the classical motif she'd become accustomed to. But her dad told her if she worked really hard and mastered the song Thunder Road, that he'd take out a loan and buy her a baby grand. Before he knew it, she had the entire songbook down. So he decided to fan that rock and roll flame and bought her Stevie Wonder and Beatles records until she had a respectable mini collection. The Pink Panther flew off the string when she played Springsteen or Carole King or Elton John, but nobody cared. Rock and roll let her be as theatrical as she wanted. To this day, she says Thunder Road is one of her favorite songs. Whenever she drives on the highway, she can't not think about Bruce Springsteen. She says, that's the great thing about legends. They own the whole interstate. The Pythian was a mere five blocks from Lincoln Center. Every day, Stephanie would walk by with her mother and marvel at the long lines of theater lovers wrapped around the square. She was envious of the ballet dancers and performers selling out night after night in New York City. She thought, what a life. One afternoon, Stephanie and her mother popped into a boutique near the theater. The man who worked there loved the arts and fashion and music. He and 13-year-old Stephanie became fast friends, talking for hours about their favorite musicals. When one day, she sang him a little tune. He said, you have a very nice voice. My uncle is a voice coach. Let me give you his phone number. That uncle was a man named Don Lawrence. Unbeknownst to Stephanie, Don Lawrence wasn't just any voice coach. He was revered in the music industry, with a Rolodex that included Christina Aguilera, Bono, and Mick Jagger. The Germanatas met with Lawrence, and he was instantly taken aback by Stephanie's voice. Her raw talent was undeniable. She just needed a little fine-tuning, and he was the man for the job. During one of their early sessions, Lawrence looked at Stephanie and asked if she played the piano. He knew the answer. She had a profound understanding of scales and pitch that was well beyond her 13 years. Over time, through working with Lawrence, her vocal range began to expand. Then he asked another question. Have you ever written a song?
Within the walls of their home on West 70th Street, Stephanie was free to be herself, free to be different, free to belt out her favorite hits from Guys and Dolls at the top of her lungs while she listened on her Walkman. But at school, Stephanie was considered weird. Her peers thought she had a too big nose, too big teeth, and too big dreams. And as she entered her teen years, their hurtful words turned to actions. Being a true New Yorker and Italian, Stephanie loved pizza and spent many a lunch hour at the local pizzeria. One day, she walked in to meet her friends for a slice when a group of boys from her high school snuck up behind her and picked her up. They carried her outside onto the busy street corner and tossed her into a filthy Manhattan garbage can. Stephanie held back tears. The other kids laughed as they walked past her back to school. So she pretended to laugh too. She didn't tell her parents what had happened to her. The thought of having that conversation was too humiliating to bear. Her mother later said that over time, the taunting and torment changed Stephanie. She developed anxiety and depression and threw herself into the only escape at her teenage disposal, songwriting. There were many days when Stephanie didn't want to go to school, but she was never absent when they held the school musical auditions. She tried out for every single musical throughout her entire high school career and was rejected time and time again for the lead. But in her senior year, they were doing Guys and Dolls, her favorite show of all time, and Stephanie locked in her coordinates on the role of Adelaide. Adelaide was the lead female character, an outspoken showgirl and headliner at the Hotbox nightclub. Adelaide was everything Stephanie was and everything she wanted to be. Theatrical, beautiful, and the star of the show. But she was also blonde, and Stephanie was brunette. One reason she believed she was passed on for other leading roles. They'd tell her she had the voice, just not the look. So she went out and bought her very first blonde wig. She knew she had the best voice. She knew the songs inside out since she was in single digits. And once she tucked her brown hair under that platinum wig, she became unstoppable. Stephanie was cast as Miss Adelaide. She later said it was one of the greatest moments of her life. And to this day, still dreams about seeing her name on the final cast list. Her parents were supportive of young Stephanie's ambitions. She even convinced her mother to take her to nearby open mic nights. She was at least five years underage, but she begged club owners to let her perform, using her mother's presence as a bargaining chip. At age 17, another dream came true. Stephanie Germanotta received early acceptance to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts to study music. It was prestigious. Only 20 students in history had received early acceptance, and Stephanie couldn't wait. So she moved into a dorm on 11th Street and dove into classes. After school, she played her music at piano bars and even formed a group called the Stephanie Germanotta Band, 
that dabbled in the odd mixture of disco and hairband power ballads. On weekends, they rented studio time underneath a liquor store, recording songs and burning CDs. But not everyone was a fan of her music. As Stephanie made her way across New York City, dragging her keyboard from bar to bar, a Facebook group made its way around the NYU campus. It was called Stephanie Germanata, You Will Never Be Famous. Fellow NYU students posted pictures of her performances in the group, one caption adding, Who does she think she is? Then there was a picture of one of her flyers for an upcoming gig, with a giant muddy footprint across the page. It was profoundly hurtful, but she decided she wouldn't let them stomp on her dreams. So Stephanie dropped out of NYU to become a rock star. And we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stephanie's father gave her one year. One year to land a record deal or otherwise solidify her career as a musician, or she'd have to go back to school. So she hit the ground running. She found a tiny Manhattan apartment and furnished it with the essentials. A keyboard, a futon, and a David Bowie poster. Stephanie said all she wanted to do at that time was live in solitude with her poetry and be overly dramatic about everything. She took three different jobs to pay her $1,100 rent. A go-go cage dancer one night, a pianist at a cabaret club the next, 
and a waitress in between, all the while mailing CDs to record labels and auditioning for musicals and other acting jobs. She was so hungry for work that she often called ahead in a different voice, pretending to be her own agent. But the theater said she was too pop, and record labels said she was too theatrical. One night in 2006, the Stephanie Germanata Band was performing a new songwriter showcase at a music venue called The Cutting Room. After the show, a woman approached Stephanie, grabbed her by the arm, and said, I'm about to change your life. She was a talent scout for a record producer named Rob Fusari, and scoping the Manhattan underground scene in search of fresh talent was an average night on the job. The scout arranged a meeting between Stephanie and Fusari. Fusari had worked with megastars like Whitney Houston, Will Smith, and Beyonce. But when he met Stephanie, he wasn't impressed. She didn't look like a star. She wore leggings with an oversized sweatshirt. She was short and had a big nose, and he thought she could stand to lose a few pounds. In other words, she wasn't very marketable. Then she slid onto his piano bench, and everything changed. Fusari couldn't believe his ears. He said, she's a female John Lennon. Stephanie and Fusari started putting together tracks to take to record companies. But label after label, day after day, month after month, the industry was overwhelmingly uninterested. The male-to-female ratio of mainstream rock voices was exceedingly disproportionate. They told her there was no space in the genre for her sound. So she and Fusari decided to pivot from rock and roll to dance. Dance music was on the rise, and Fusari saw a window. At first, Stephanie felt really thrown off kilter. Bruce Springsteen and Led Zepp were her compass. But she decided to try dance on for size. And surprisingly, it fit pretty well. Stephanie was a performer, not just a singer. And dance allowed her to showcase her body as an instrument. So she started working on a new dance pop persona, when one day, Fusari turned to her and said, You're so gaga. Stephanie said, Like, radio gaga? He said, Yeah, you're like Freddie Mercury. From that day on, Rob Fusari called her gaga. Soon it caught on, and her friends started calling her gaga. Eventually, she started calling herself gaga full-time. An added lady, she later said, because she could. Lady Gaga had a song called Beautiful Dirty Rich that had major potential. It was a synth-heavy track about having self-proclaimed inner fame, regardless of outside acceptance. Fusari sent the song to every name that carried weight in the music business, and suddenly the phone began to ring. One caller was an executive at label Island Def Jam. Lady Gaga's sound had piqued his interest, and he invited her in for a meeting. She couldn't contain her excitement. This was the shot she was waiting for. He and a group of five other executives sat in on the meeting that centered around a shiny upright where Gaga sat, shaking in her thigh-high boots. But she played them one of her songs, 
and midway through the performance, Def Jam chief executive L.A. Reid walked in. Fusari later said Reid was no doubt summoned by a secret bat signal his staff are instructed to press when there's signable talent in the room. Reid told her she was a star. And on September 6, 2006, Lady Gaga signed her first record deal. Gaga was giddy. She was finally reaping the rewards of every late-night gig, every mile hauling her heavy keyboard, every naysayer, and every bully. She continued playing the New York bar scene, but now she had a leg up, telling Booker she had a major record deal and was headed due north to superstardom. She was on top of the world in her Lower East Side walk-up, but over at Def Jam HQ, things weren't so rosy. L.A. Reid listened back to Lady Gaga's demo tapes and suddenly wasn't as enamored as he was the day they met. As months went on, Def Jam stopped answering Gaga and Fusari's calls. She was supposed to book studio time for her debut album, but got the silent treatment from the record company. She sat outside Reid's office for hours, hoping to catch him walking in or out, but he never emerged. And after three long months of anxiety and confusion, Def Jam dropped Lady Gaga from their label. The rejection was piercing. It was the worst day of her life. 19-year-old Gaga sobbed. She called her mother, who immediately drove to her apartment. The next morning, the two flew to West Virginia to see her grandmother. Gaga cried on her grandma's couch for hours. Her career was over. It was one thing to chase your dreams, but to have them come true, then be taken away, was too soul-crushing to bear. That's when her grandmother looked at her and said, I'm going to let you cry for the rest of the day. But then you have to stop crying. You have to go back to New York and go kick some ass. Lady Gaga's record deal was gone, but her drive, though shaky, remained. So she took grandma's advice and dove straight back into performing. Gaga worked at go-go bars, gay clubs, and burlesque lounges. And she slowly realized something interesting. After 2 a.m., Manhattan became an island of misfit toys. Hordes of interesting characters funneled in and out of the clubs, whether heavy metalheads, drag queens, exotic dancers, or hipsters. And it was in those wee hours that she felt perfectly at home. Because she was among her tribe, where everyone's weird was welcomed and celebrated. She felt inspired by their grit. So Gaga decided to emulate them and experiment with her look. She borrowed wigs from the drag queens and bikinis from the go-go dancers and draped herself in fake pearls. Suddenly her appearance was as boundary-pushing as her sound and it caught the attention of a fellow lady, Lady Starlight. Lady Starlight was a performance artist in the same underground circuit who had developed a cult following. Her show was essentially burlesque with an edge. She was 11 years older than Lady Gaga, but they were birds of a feather. Starlight encouraged Gaga to think of her performances not just as concerts, but as art. 
Over time, the two decided to combine their acts to create a variety show called Lady Gaga and the Starlight Review. They also coined a new genre in pop burlesque. The ladies glued sequins and mirrors to their bikinis, wore foot-high heels and cheetah spandex. The goal? Shock and awe. And there was nothing more shocking in the underground scene than playing pop music. They wanted to take a genre everyone thought was mainstream and uncool and flip it on its head. Throw in some pyrotechnics and a disco ball, and suddenly they had a show. They were fearless and became a fixture in the club scene. Soon Lady Gaga and the Starlight Review landed a slot at Lollapalooza Music Festival in Chicago. It was a massive deal. Other acts on the bill included Kings of Leon, Snow Patrol, and Daft Punk. The ladies wore neon bikinis and fishnet stockings and sang some of Lady Gaga's compositions to a crowd of thousands. The performance caught the attention of talent scouts at Interscope Records. So Rob Fusari sent Interscope some of the tracks he and Gaga had produced. They loved her sound and invited her in for a meeting. The co-founder of Interscope, Jimmy Iovine, later said in an interview that this brown-haired Italian girl walked into his office and started talking about Andy Warhol and dance and industrial music and art. Iovine said she confused him so much, he signed her. Gaga was nervous. After the disaster that was her Def Jam contract, she worried it would all go away at the blink of a false lash. But Interscope really saw her as more than just a singer. They saw her as a performer. They weren't just settling for her look. They wanted it. She was the whole package. Through Interscope, Lady Gaga was introduced to producers Red One and Akon. Red One had produced a string of mega hits, and Akon was a hugely successful singer and producer himself. Red One said he knew from day one that Gaga was special. Akon was also struck by her immediately. He said her appearance and her attitude felt brand new and fresh. He thought she was fearless. So the pair commandeered her to write songs for other artists they were producing, including the Pussycat Dolls and Britney Spears. She was beside herself. These were female artists she looked up to at the top of their game, singing her hooks and her lyrics. Akon and Red One realized how unequivocally dedicated she was to her craft. So they made a momentous decision. They wanted to produce her debut album. Gaga was thrilled. In no time at all, they'd written three new songs, Just Dance, Love Game, and Poker Face. Then they added others she'd already written with Fusari, like Beautiful Dirty Rich, Boys Boys Boys, and Paparazzi, and put together her very first album titled The Fame. At first, Jimmy Iovine thought Just Dance should go to the Pussycat Dolls, but Red One convinced him it was for Gaga. On August 19, 2008, The Fame was released. The public didn't know what to do with the album. It didn't fit into any of the usual genres. 
In the first few weeks, the record barely made a ripple. Radio stations said her music stood out awkwardly on their playlists. They thought it was too racy and dance-oriented for daytime play. So she called them herself, this time not pretending to be her agent, but pretending to be her fans. Then good things started to percolate. Interscope secured appearances for her on television shows because her wigs and pearls and latex made for good TV. She performed on So You Think You Can Dance, which led to appearances on major talk shows like The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and Ellen. Then she landed an unexpected gig, a performance during the swimsuit competition at the 2008 Miss Universe pageant in Vietnam, a television special that put Gaga center stage in front of nearly a billion sets of eyes worldwide. And after six months of nonstop, exhausting promotion, something interesting happened. Her songs started peppering the charts. The album made its way up to number two on the Billboard 200 chart. Poker Face and Just Dance became the number two and number three best-selling singles of 2009. And the fame lived up to its name, selling over 10 million copies worldwide, earning the record certified diamond status. That's when the dream Stephanie Germanata had all those years ago finally came true. By being unapologetically herself, she put her paws up and refused to change. Because baby, she was born this way. This is a story of persistence. Lady Gaga stayed true to herself, even though the cost was high. She was bullied, she was ignored, she was rejected. But she kept pushing forward. She kept performing wherever she could. She juggled three jobs so she could keep an apartment while mailing her CDs out to record labels. As someone once said, your nine to five pays the bills, but your six to 12 builds the empire. So many talented people give up when they hear door slams or when the silence from gatekeepers becomes too loud. A career is never a sprint. As a matter of fact, it's more like an Ironman triathlon. Gaga pounded her piano, she pounded the pavement, she pounded on doors. Talent puts you in the race, but persistence carries you across the finish line. As Gaga herself says... She was the girl everyone said no to. She didn't fit a mold or a genre. Everyone wanted to whittle her down into something more palatable. Even her first record label dropped her. As crushing as that was for Gaga, she persisted, with a big shout-out to her grandma there. A huge part of the struggle early in a career is not the struggle to create, but the search to find safe harbor for your creations. Interscope was that harbor for Gaga. They didn't just tolerate her extreme individuality, they embraced it. But even with the weight of Interscope behind her, Gaga still had to fight stifling radio station formats to get her music played. But persisting through all the taunts, all the rejections, and all the door slams paid off. 
It's staggering to think the world can repeatedly ignore an artist who will end up selling 27 million albums and 146 million singles worldwide. But rejection is the world's first reflex. When Gaga began playing stadiums, she created a stage show where she is literally thrown into a giant fiery vat with the word rejected printed across it. A metaphor for being thrown into the garbage by her peers. But her persistence was the message. She has used her fame to create the Born This Way Foundation to support young people by celebrating individuality and bravery. With her latest hit single, she became only the third artist in history to chart a number one record in each of the past three decades. Lady Gaga recently told Howard Stern that she does not fear rejection. When you stand apart, the crowd will judge you. But when you stand your ground, the world takes note. Never, ever give up. Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata, Grammy Awards, 11. Grammy nominations, 27. Academy Awards, 1. Number 1 Albums, 6. Number of Elton John's Children She Godmothers, 2. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in an Airstream mobile recording studio. This episode is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. We regret to inform you that this series is engineered by Keith Oman. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at apostrophepod. If you're interested in advertising on our show, click Advertise With Us on our site. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.